Welcome in Rose City to a special edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark. Uh, today we're joined by a special guest on the pod, uh, Meg Linehan from The Athletic. You can read her work at, uh, at The Athletic covering all manner of soccer stories over the last several years, uh, a few of them involving uh, our teams here uh, in, in the, the great Northwest. Um, wanted to get Meg's perspective uh, for what has been um, an interesting few days uh, in terms of uh, PTFC. We, we uh, just released the Oregonian did an investigative story uh, involving the workplace culture at PTFC. Uh, multiple accusations within the story, uh, including many that involve President of Business Mike Golub. Uh, he's accused of hostility toward female employees, uh, inappropriate touching, including shoulder rubs, um, general horseplay behavior in the office that people perceived as inappropriate, uh, yelling and screaming in meetings, and and uh, leadership style that people uh, had issue with that that had previously worked for him. Uh, we spoke to 10 uh, former employees about this issue, many of which spoke anonymously for fear of retribution from the club. Uh, and one of those employees spoke about her issues with uh, pumping breast milk in, in the office uh, at PTFC, wherein she said that she was put in a dusty, cramped electrical closet in order to to pump uh, on game days uh, on non-game days, she was able to use Merritt Paulson's suite that he likes to watch games from. Uh, Merritt has been accused of insensitivity with regard to that, uh, particularly when it comes to his response to that. Um, And the club denies any wrongdoing, but says that Mike Golub in particular uh, is in sensitivity trainings right now uh, as, as we speak to address some of the issues found within a Internal report from DLA Piper, a law firm that uh, that the Timbers and Thorns organization has uh, gotten to conduct the investigation into their workplace. They found three total issues. One of them was with Mike Golub and his leadership style, and and they won't get into detail about that. But a lot of the trainings that Mike Golub is in line up with what we have reported at the Oregonian. Uh, so so diving right into it with. Uh, Meg, who will be able to provide additional perspective on this. Uh, Meg, what was your reaction to to reading this story, and and what do you think it says about the the club culture broadly? I mean, I think my initial reaction when I was reading it, obviously, there are a lot of voices in the story, and I think reporting like this is really important because obviously not every story is going to be like a Paul Riley-esque level story, right? Like where it's so clearly past the boundaries. I think that the next part of what we have maybe been grappling here in the soccer community is where those boundaries are and, and where they can get crossed. And the difference between what it is to just be kind of like questionable in your role and what like actively is a behavior that people are going to view as, you know, inappropriate, harmful, making them uncomfortable, all that kind of stuff. And so I think now this is a much harder line to define, but I think what you can see from talking to, to 10 plus people, right, is that there is this sense of the boundaries here are not quite in alignment with where they should be. And one of the really 
big things that I think we need to talk about in this community is sports. <laughs> when we're in this world, like some of the behavior gets excused because of, oh, it's sports, right? And and not just like, oh, it's men's sports because it happens in women's sports too. But like that this fast paced environment is going to excuse any number of behaviors because that's what we're all used to or should should consider normal. And so I think that normalization part, like that's really the the thing that's very concerning to me is that when things become normal, it then enables worse behavior. And so we're seeing kind of at the foundation, at the the top of the front office, that there were behaviors that multiple people found really questionable and really bad. And then you see other <laughs> stories coming out of Portland, right? And it you do kind of get the sense of okay well it's not two plus two equals five right it's one plus one plus one and you get you get a conclusion right and that may or may not be accurate from the outside but portland now is really in this space where they have a lot of work to do to rebuild trust and i think like that's really a big thing that we're going to have to talk about is how the portland organization rebuilds trust with their own fans when these stories keep emerging. Right. And, and you know, there have been so many of those fans who have called for accountability. That's been then the main word that you hear from fans, you hear from players in the NWSL and, and other voices out there. Um, do you think that those voices, those people who have spoken out, will be satisfied by sensitivity trainings by some trainings which in Mike Golub's own admission are self-guided uh and, and do you think that those type of statements and, and the type of responses that that Mike Golub and Merritt Paulson as well had um in that story do you think that's going to be enough for for those people I mean I think just based on the past year right that the the Portland front office has had you really I think it's going to be really hard for Portland to dig themselves out of the hole that I think like in terms of that trust. But I think the fundamental thing that is the biggest struggle too is, and I, I think it's completely understandable from a human level, but, you know, reading some of these quotes, right. There was kind of maybe a little bit of a disconnect because sometimes like, Oh, I'm a tactile guy, but also I, I didn't have any of these behaviors, right. From Mike Golub where, where a lot of them did not necessarily <laughs> make a, a logical sense with, with each other. But there is this kind of initial response of defensiveness. And I think that we've seen that over the past year, right? And I think we've seen it from on-field behavior with Merritt Paulson too, interacting with fans of, there is a little bit of, of anger and resentment, right? Of, uh, look at what I've done for you or look at the team, right? And this is the price we have to pay for being a good, soccer team which is just kind of not really connected to any of what <laughs> people are talking about but i think the big question now for for portland and especially the people at the top are if defensiveness is kind of that initial reaction then like what is the next step in this reaction and like self-guided trainings are great and everything but does that really equal up to the work that probably needs to get done to rebuild trust. I don't think so. And I think my big question too, coming from primarily the NWSL world is, 
there has been a lot of institutional power in Portland for the NWSL, right? Merritt Paulson has had a huge influence on the league in both good and, and maybe challenging ways, right? But Mike Golub has been super involved in a lot of the business side of the NWSL. He was just on the, the search for a new commissioner, uh, which resulted in the hire of Jessica Berman. So you have people who are the subject of stories where former you know, employees are talking about their behavior and then knowing that they are shaping an entire league. Like that's also, I think, a piece that we need to talk about of are these voices that we should be putting in positions of power within the NWSL when a lot of this is still kind of unresolved and that accountability piece, I think, is still a big question mark for a lot of people. Right. And the NWSL issued a statement. Uh, the MLS has not issued a statement with regard to the alleged behaviors with Mike Golub and, and Merritt Paulson. But um, NWSL released a statement um, that in part says there's nothing more important than the culture of the league, that employees deserve a respectful professional workplace, uh, and that they are aware of the internal investigation conducted by DLA Piper for the PTFC. Uh, and they are supportive of the changes that are implemented in terms of those findings, those changes being the uh, the trainings. But we have seen across NWSL, there have, have been different levels of accountability with regard to, to workplace behavior in particular. Uh, and, and those have, have been a result of myriad investigations. Um, I, I'm wondering how, how those two things square with one another, where uh, the, the league essentially comes out in support of um, of the steps that Portland is taking and does not go much further than that, while there has also been differing levels of accountability for other instances similar to this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. And also, I think there's kind of the fundamental question of, we got told Portland was doing this internal investigation, right, after the athletic story on former head coach Paul Riley and the events of 2015. And then now it's kind of getting called a, a culture <laughs> review, um, so I, I do think that we have both like logistical questions there, but also I think it is really tough because also reporting this stuff is really, really hard. Right. And especially I think the tail end of it is really hard because in the NWSL, right, there are still a lot of active and open investigations, including the main one between the NWSL and the NWSL Players Association into culture across the league and, and potentially you know, concerning behaviors there. And we're now about like a month and a half out for the from the year anniversary of of the report. And we don't really still have a sense of timing on that front. We still have a Sally Yates investigation hanging out for US soccer. Again, not a lot of timing, though we did get this kind of like interesting statement from Sally Yates being like, I sure do wish people would cooperate with me. <laughs> right. So trying to get details out of an organization which is i think in many ways it's a good thing that they are designed to protect their employees right because this is not like a legal proceeding or anything like it is a private employer discussing matters with their own employee but like trying to report this stuff is really really hard <laughs> so the nwcl does have to walk this really fine line of okay, we know Portland has done certain things. They have reported what they need to to us. We have to kind of have a stance on this because of everything that's happened. 
but also we still have all of these things hanging out. And there's not really, I think, an answer that's going to satisfy everyone, if not anyone, right? Like the team is not going to probably want the NWL to make a statement. The fans are looking for a lot more. The supporters are looking for a lot more. And how do you navigate that? It's a really tough question. And, and really, I think the big piece here is that we're just waiting on the results of these other investigations. And until that happens, we still do not really know the extent of what's been happening. We do have this kind of basics of the, the facts of what happened in Portland, but we don't necessarily know internal processes. And, and we also don't know how much we're going to get out of any of that. So really the, the reporting part of this is, is very hard. And I think reminding people of that is definitely helpful just in terms of it's going to be really hard to get to a resolution where everybody actually feels satisfied, I think. Right. There are so many emotions weaved into to this as well. Um, people who are survivors, people um, who, who have experienced um, abuse like this in, in, in their own lives, who uh, want a level of accountability in this public setting uh, that, that they might not have received individually. I'm curious on, a, on another note about your thoughts on the through line from the Paul Riley story and that scandal in 2015 to the issues uh, involving former Portland Timbers player Andy Polo to now these these workplace issues that have been uh, alleged in the investigation that we underwent and then the internal investigation that, that the Timbers uh, and Thorns organization did themselves. Um, how do you compartmentalize that? How, how do you uh, see that through line uh, as far as being a potential trend? I mean, all of these stories do tend to revolve around the same leadership group at the team, right? The same names have been there the whole time. So I think that there are valid questions to be asked of Merritt Paulson as an owner, of Gavin Wilkinson as the general manager, as, uh, of Mike Golub as you know the leader of the business side of the team. Um, and I think really what gets reinforced by a a story at the Oregonian with the other two is that it's maybe not just the big stuff, right? That there are also questions about the smaller day-to-day things, right? And, And what I spoke to before about normalization of behaviors, right? So more and more things become permissible or things are, are, you know, I think that Portland when I was reporting the, the the Paul Riley story, right, a lot of it took place outside of Portland and was not reported in a way where Portland would have had the information to take appropriate action. And do I think if, and I'm not, not blaming the player in question here for not reporting, it was not the right time for her, 100% understand that, but there that does limit the information that Portland is working with. I still think that there is enough there in terms of Mana Shim's report about what happened in 2015 that suggests that they probably could have done more, right? There is that balance of, in theory, this is a a complaint situation between two of your own employees and how do you balance that? But I think the, the question is, is what we have seen from Paul Riley thing where he gets, his contract isn't renewed, right? They send him out the door. He gets immediately rehired. The Andy Polo stuff, again, you know, there have been investigations around that as well. But I think it speaks to what the team views as like a permissible 
behavior from leadership in terms of how they're going to approach really questionable situations. And so I think there is a through line, right, that we have now seen. And obviously the connections between the NWSL story, the Andy Polo story were really, really easy for people to make. But now having the front office piece where the smaller behaviors are also being called into question by their own employees. Again, it's going to it's going to make that hole that they need to dig out of in terms of public perception, in terms of like that, the Honestly, the real work that they they really do have to do in the front office to figure out how do we build a better organization where people feel safe and respected, it's a much harder job now. And hiding behind performance on the field is is just, it's not a good solution for anyone. Do you think Portland could serve as as kind of a poster child for this level of institutional change that the NWSL players and and other activists out there uh, are seeking just given the fact that you know irrespective of everything that has happened the Portland Thorns are one of the most successful franchises in NWSL history uh one of the most recognizable women's sports brands in the world and they have a bunch of amazing superstar personalities on their team, people like Christine Sinclair and Sophia Smith. And the, the Timbers, with respect to MLS, have been one of the most successful franchises since they entered the league. If there is a greater level of, of accountability in the eyes of fans and, and of people who are seeking it, what could you envision as far as Portland being being that poster child for something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think if the work gets done, right, the the main thing standing between them being able to hold themselves as a real true example of, look, we did the work, we can prove it, we can live these values day in, day out. If another situation arises, we can prove to you that it's been handled correctly. The only thing standing between Portland, beyond like all the actual work that needs to happen, but what we're seeing now is, look at the Andy Polo thing, right? the investigation gets released and there is this inherent sense from the public that they don't trust the results of it. So how do you overcome that? And I think that's a really, really hard question because also it immediately gets kind of followed up by this Oregonian story, right? Which only I think then reaffirms what everybody believes about Portland. So how do you prove that not just you're doing the work, but like the processes are better, the systems are better, if something happens in the future, it's going to actually resolve in a way that people would be satisfied by. And I don't have a great answer for that. But what I think is really interesting is that, you know, what we have seen, especially in the NWSL, in terms of the NWSL Players Association, in terms of their their leadership, right? Players are not afraid to, to say like, okay, you know, we have a list of demands. We want to see X, Y, Z, and they're going to have much greater visibility to what's actually happening inside the organization than any of us, right? Like we can absolutely talk to sources and and all of that kind of stuff, but like what they're experiencing day in, day out, do they feel valued? Do they feel like they're actually a part of this organization that is respected? That's a call on them, right? And I think we need to see that kind of... Like that's going to be, I think, a key part to Portland moving forward as an organization is that if we see players and staff kind of externally vouching 
right? And not just necessarily carrying water, but saying like, hey, there are still improvements that need to be made, but we have seen improvements in these areas, right? And that's also, I think, how change gets accomplished is that you do have forces from the outside calling for change, but you also have players and staff who are trying to build better things within. But again, do you believe the result of an investigation when it comes out? That's a huge stumbling block. And the fact that, you know, all of these stories eventually do come back to Merritt Paulson as owner and what has happened under his ownership of the team. Obviously, his personality is very big, right? Like, I'm not trying to personally disparage him, but like he has a very strong sense of what he thinks is right or wrong, right? And a very certain like strong way of talking. And it does alienate people. And again, there is that defensiveness. But do I think fundamentally he has shown that like he believes in the work of soccer? Sure, right? But there's there's that sense like, and this is what we've seen across the leagues, both leagues really, is that you can't use that as an excuse for all of this other stuff, right? The Dola Hansen story in Utah, all of this, right? And I'm not trying to compare them one-to-one and say one is worse than the other, but it's just, I think the team does need to take a step back and say, okay, how do we start to work at repairing this relationship so that way the trust is rebuilt? And that's such, such, such a large project and is not going to happen overnight by any stretch of the imagination. Meg Linehan with The Athletic, thank you very much for taking the time today. Uh, We'll be right back here on Soccer Made in Portland after a quick break. Welcome back to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, Thanks again to Meg Linehan for taking the time to speak with us. Always good to have a national perspective on these local issues uh, that are facing uh, the two clubs that uh, the folks listening to this podcast follow so closely. Uh, Got Chris Reifer here to talk some soccer, but first, Chris, uh, anything additional you wanted to, to add before we get into that? Hello, and uh, uh, I guess welcome to me, to this podcast that's been going for a little while. Uh, so uh, just as a reminder to folks, uh, I think we talked about this sort of at the at the jump of the the, the rise of this podcast from the ashes, uh, that, that I just have some professional uh, sort of uh, entwinements that, that, that keep me from talking about things like that publicly. And so that's why uh, you got to have that, that lovely conversation with Meg, uh, which in, in my opinion, just assessing the relative merits of me versus Meg. That is an enormous upgrade for this podcast to have Meg on uh, to talk about something like that rather than me. Uh, she is much smarter than I am. Uh, and so uh, I, I hope you all uh, enjoyed that. I hear, uh, I'm here to talk uh, primarily about a, a drive to deep left field by Castellanos. So with that, uh, go for it, Ryan. What are we going to talk about? And now? there's a drive to deep left field. Um, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get started with the thorns here uh, as far as the soccer discussion. Uh, Thorns got a two to one win on the road at the Washington Spirit on August 10th. Uh, really impressive victory. Really one of the season defining moments, I think, for this Thorns team to showcase its uh, its metal, its uh, willingness to be able to come back in in a game like that. Down one zero, uh, missing Sophia Smith uh, due to a minor injury, uh, and 
they got on their horse and Christine Sinclair let them, let them over the finish line. And uh, Morgan Weaver uh, with a tremendous finish of her own. She's, she's really come into yeah. her own as a, as a goal scorer for this team. Uh, and, and they get the two, one win on the road against a Washington team that for all people's accounts uh, has, has underperformed this year, given its talent. I mean, you, you look up top with players like Trinity Rodman up there. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, she was, she was a powerhouse and, and they, have struggled this year and, and games like this are, are one of the examples of why, you know, they haven't been able to necessarily finish them off. But uh, I think it says a lot more about the thorns and, and the culture that they're building that they were able to, to pull off this victory. Yeah. I think it's funny. The spirit are, the spirit are a funny team because they, they have what I think still one win uh, on the year, which, you know, uh, in the vein of my take from last week that the weather is too hot, that is not good. Um, one win uh, to 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 you know build on my reputation for stating the obvious. Uh, but they have a ton of draws, and when you watch them just on the field, they don't ha- have the eye test of a team <laughs> that is a sort of wooden spoon, clo- you know, <laughs> contender kind of team. They look like a pretty solid team of course, as their accomplishments of last year indicate. Um, and so I, I think this was a, a more difficult game for the Thorns uh, than, uh, than they perhaps, you know, would have got credit for. Um, and, and the Spirit are still a difficult team to beat. Um, this game sort of gave me similar feelings as the draw in Chicago did earlier this year when the thorns were, were in a little bit of a rough patch and they really just kind of got into a, got into and really stuck into a heavyweight boxing match with the red stars. The, the spirit of course, haven't been as good as the red stars. Um, but the thorns had some pretty significant adversity thrown their way immediately before kickoff. When, when Sophia Smith, uh, came out of warmups, it sounds like with, some degree of of tightness, discomfort. What was the word used? Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, a tightness that she experienced. They didn't they didn't say what muscle or or like what extremity she was dealing with tightness, but <laughs> there was a tightness to be had. And and you know, given how many games the Thorns have this month, they they can even though she's a superstar, even though she makes them go, they can afford to to be a little more conservative with that. So I I totally understood that they can, yeah and i think they kind of have to um but this was nonetheless an important game because they're in a shield race uh and as i was watching sort of over the course of the game uh it it felt like one of those games i first of all i thought the thorns played pretty darn well um throughout most of the game i thought they created a ton of chances that almost to a to a darkly comedic uh extent just didn't come off, but they were getting into really good spots. They just weren't hitting the final balls. They just weren't finishing. Um, and, uh, and they had a ton of near misses. And I was, I, I initially I was kind of like, Oh, is this just going to be one of those games where they play well, they create a ton of chances, nothing comes off. And then they, you know, and, and then I, <laughs> my fears came true. They did give up kind of a weird goal. Um, Bella Bixby, who to that point had had a tremendous game, continuing a tremendous season, um, had a weird one. <laughs> I think is probably a fair way to characterize it. I don't really, I've watched it multiple times. I don't really know what to make of it. And I just had this sinking feeling where it was like, oh, they've put in so much good work 
over the course of more than an hour. And that's going to be it. Like that's what's going to do it. Yeah. In a game where the goalkeepers were featured, where, where they were both so incredibly good. Had that been the difference? Had that been, you know, her accidentally Man. walking backwards across the <laughs> yeah. line with, with the ball because of her momentum? I mean, th- that being the difference would have been insane. But, you know, thankfully the soccer gods had other plans. Yeah, and thankfully the Thorns had other plans uh, because I, I am not going to ascribe to divinity what can be explained by humanity. Uh, and uh, in this instance, I think it was the humans on the Thorns who who dug deep uh, to to get this result. Um, it had been there throughout the whole game uh, and, and they just sort of found a way. And I think you do, you very correctly pointed to the leadership of a Christine Sinclair. You, uh, the, the, the quality on the field uh, with Morgan Weaver now really sort of having a strong stretch of, of her season. Um, that is an exciting result. And that's the kind of result, frankly, that, that if this is a shield winning campaign, you're going to look back on at the end of the season and say those three points were huge and finding a way to gut those out to scratch and claw that result. It's a weird thing to say uh, in, in a game against one of the you know teams on the bottom of the table, but that's just the kind of result that you need if you're going to win the shield. And so uh, I'm, you know, I, I am back after a week of, of, of being not not concerned because I wasn't concerned after the, the the draw against the courage, but disappointed to see those points go away and kind of thinking, oh, they might really rue that. This is the opposite side of that coin. This is a result that uh, that very easily and and I think frankly for most teams would have slipped between their fingers, whether they they drawn or lost that game. I think the overwhelming majority of teams draw or lose that game. Uh, I think these thorns they got guts. They got real guts, uh, and and they got a lot of talent, and they're well organized, and they're well trained, um, and they got a lot of guts, and I think that's a that's a, a pretty potent combination, which is why, lo and behold, they're top of the league. Exactly, and uh, top of the league right now at twenty eight points, uh, seven wins, seven draws, and only one loss. Uh, that is a uh, league low for losses, just one goal differential of plus twenty one which is way better than any of the other teams. <laughs> the, the next else. best is uh, Houston with a plus nine. So um, Houston's really yeah, having, and a Houston's having a moment. They're, they're doing really well. Um, that's a team that has, uh, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, handed the thorns, their lone loss of the season. And then the thorns went down and pasted them in. That's in right. Houston. What was that? Yeah. Four zero or four yeah, one. Something like that. It was, it was quite the, uh, the demolishing in revenge, but um there's a three-way tie now for second in NWSL, Houston, San Diego, and Kansas City. Uh, O.L. Reign are just a point back of that group in fifth. Chicago Red Stars just a point back of O.L. Reign in sixth. Uh, it's it's tightly wound there, and, and the Thorns have a three-point advantage on the field, essentially. Um, and despite their dominance, despite how great they've been, um, these last few games are still going to have quite a bit of pressure uh, because they, in seeking a shield, they are also seeking the opportunity to have home field advantage uh, throughout the playoffs. Even if they aren't able to get the shield, even if by some miracle Houston continues its run and and surpasses them or San Diego gets back into form and and surpasses them. um, Portland wants to host the, the playoff games that it plays that they're, 
is no team with the exception of Angel City who's not in the playoff picture uh, right now. There's no team who has a better home field advantage, and they want that. They they want to carry their uh, journey to the to the NWSL championship through Portland uh, and eventually travel to to DC at a at a site to be determined later to to play for the NWSL title. Later, yes. Here's hoping it's not where they so, played last week. By the way, yeah, yeah no in, in uh, Northern so Virginia. Here, here is my my hot take. Uh, that's sort of just a, a wild offshoot from from your discussion there. Uh, the NWSL Shield should be a really big deal. It should be. It should be at least a co-equal trophy with the cup, right? Um, and, uh, I think we need to be treating it that way. I, I mean, in, in MLS, you have the, the weirdness of having a really imbalanced schedule, um, making the supporter shield in MLS kind of a, a weird deal, right? Because it's not a level playing field, yada, yada, yada. You don't have that issue in NWSL. Oh, um, it is, it is much more balanced and it, by the way, should stay much more balanced, just in case anybody at the league office listens to this, your podcast, that's my opinion. And you should, you should agree with it. Um, but, uh, write that on Chris Reifer's tombstone, by the way, (laughs) that is my opinion and you should agree with it. (laughs) Um, but we, I mean, I, you know, the shield is a, is a, you know, and to, to invoke the current president, it's a BFD. Um, not going to spell that out by the way, family show. Oh, always um, been a family show. Always will be. That's right. Uh, gather around. Um, but, but it, it's a BFD. And, and so, you know, I, I, uh, I, I say this om- not because I chafe against when people are like, and they want home field advantage for the playoffs, but like the shield is a reward in its of itself in and of itself and the a shield. And I think the thorns probably have their 2021 season undervalued as a result of this. But the shield is like a a capstone accomplishment for any season in its own right, um, and uh, I think that's why you know in in my view, frankly, uh, the home field advantage through in air quotes air quotes translate horribly to a podcast format format, but I'm nonetheless verbalizing air quotes home field advantage throughout quote unquote the playoffs um, is is important. Uh, but I, it's, it's, it's a side perk when it comes to what is the, the much bigger, um, the, the, the much bigger deal, which is winning the shield. Right. And this league is so balanced and, and so, um, you know, tough to exactly. win. In. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, it's a, it's a murderer's row. And so like getting through, <laughs> getting through the murderer's row of a whole bunch of really good teams, frankly, I mean, I think you can rattle off five or six teams this year that look like they could win the championship, right? That look like they could win, win the playoffs. Um, that look dangerous. Yeah. I mean, fifth, fifth Uh, place OL rain easily could be there at the end. Very easily. Oh, I mean, we've talked about how, how it's looked to us like the thorns in the rain are the two best teams in the league. And yet they're one in five, um, which, which speaks to the depth uh, of, of the league. And, when you work your way through that schedule, when you work your way through that table and you come out on top, uh, whichever team that is, I'm not saying that's going to be the thorns because they still have a lot of work to do, including some that we're going to talk about in just a second. Oh, that's a, 
That's a BFD. And uh, and uh, I, I think it needs to be sort of recognized in its own right as such. Should be a bigger banner than the MLS is, is back. True. Yes, it should definitely be bigger than that. That banner is a li- that banner should be like NYCFC size, probably maybe a little bigger because that's like a eleven by seventeen poster. But um, <laughs> <laughs> they they like printed they like printed it in landscape. Yeah, they did. They <laughs> it's eight and a half by eleven. They, printed they did it, it in at Kinko's. Like they just they just went to they were like, hey, we got to put up this banner, and then they uh, they got it done at Kinko's and just brought it. <laughs> that sounded more Boston to me than uh than New York. I was thinking uh, it's, like it's Yonkers, it's, like it's, just it's, like some some kind of you know street tough guy from Yonkers. Or it's something. unfortunate you didn't run this by Meg, who actually is is really well situated to opine on the differences between New York and New England accents. Uh, yeah. So that's a miss uh, on your part. Uh, so way to, way, to, way to blow that interview. Well, obviously. yeah, clearly. I mean, th- there were a few more important things, I think, that we discussed than the differences <laughs> between accents. But, you know, we'll let the, the listeners uh, decide whether or not that's true. Uh, (laughs) transitioning here, however, uh, to, uh, what's coming up for the thorns tonight. This is being recorded Wednesday morning. Uh, tonight, uh, they play CF Monterrey from Mexico, uh, in the opener of the, uh, ICC, the women's ICC, uh, here at Providence park, uh, 8 40 PM kickoff. Boy, am I going to be at that stadium for a long time tonight, but that's, that's my own problem. <laughs> uh, the, the other two teams in the tournament are Olympic Lyonnaise and, uh, Chelsea FC women, uh, who will be playing each other at 6 PM, a rational time to play a, a soccer match. Uh, although it'll be a, a good bit hotter at that time, uh, tonight. Uh, yeah, that's good. Weather made in Portland. Not off yeah. <laughs> 95 degrees. Too hot. Just nasty, Too nasty hot. down on the turf with the sun hitting them for a portion of that. Yeah, um, I feel bad. That sucks. That. So they'll play at six. Uh, the winner of that game will play the winner of the Thorns in Monterey, which um, one would expect would be the Thorns, but Monterey, uh, obviously one of the toughest teams uh, down in Mexico and uh, brings a lot of talent into this tournament and wants to prove itself. Uh, the Thorns plan to to rotate their lineup heavily throughout this tournament. Rian Wilkinson told me as much, uh, only because they got six games this month. They've played two of them. Two of them are in this tournament. That would be today, Wednesday, um, and then the championship and or third place match uh, on Saturday. Um, and when they're saying they play six games this month, and it's the 17th, and they've only played two. That's four, four that, in that is, a that short is, stretch here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is a harbinger of rough seas ahead. Yes, and and so the <laughs> games that they, frankly, um, care more about are the uh, two NWSL ones that they'll have to play August twenty fourth against the North Carolina Courage on the road in North Carolina, and then three days late, long, yeah, ways, long away. ways away. Three days later, they return home to face uh, the San Diego Wave, who are right there with them uh, in the Shield race, and that's that's going to be a tough turnaround for a team that already has a whole bunch of games to play here. Let's talk about the ICC, but I do want to just put a pin in. I want to come back and have a little geography made in Portland segment um, uh, later on, but let's, let's, let's start with the ICC with, with Monterey um, and then uh, uh, the, the, the Monterey game and then looking forward to the final. I mean, I, 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 you know, I wasn't surprised to hear Wilkinson say that that she feels like she's got to rotate the team pretty heavily during this tournament. I think their priorities are in exactly the right place. Um, I think, 
I mean, the ICC on the women's side to me means more than it does on the men's side, just because, frankly, there's a little bit more international intrigue as between the leagues. We see fewer, we have fewer opportunities to see intercontinental play uh, on the women's side. By the way, there needs to be a Club World Cup on the women's side, just in case anybody at FIFA listens to this podcast. That is my opinion, and you should agree yeah, with it. Yeah, this, this um, fills that void very, like, not enough, you know? But very, yeah, very clumsily, it fills that it fills the void. I mean, uh, NWSL teams are in season, and, and, you know, I mean, you have teams like the Thorns that have to make hard and unfortunate choices about how, about who they're going to play and, uh, and, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, you've got teams coming over from Europe very clearly in preseason, kind of doing that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so I think that's, uh, that, that, that it's a very clumsy way to sort of fill that role. And it's really unfortunate. Uh, but I do think that they have to rotate sort of through this period. And I think they probably have to rotate pretty heavily, um, through, through this period, which isn't to say that they can't win. We've seen a lot of this depth. I mean, a lot of this depth has gotten NWSL time, uh, over the course of this year as a result of international absences and the like, and they did pretty dang well. Um, so the, there are going to be a lot of players who we're going to recognize, uh, who, who have gotten important NWSL moments that are going to be playing in this tournament. And, and so I think there's still something to watch, but their priorities are in exactly the right place. They have to prioritize NWSL given how tight the shield race is, what the stakes are, uh, in the season. Uh, and, and I think that's, that, that's how it goes. That doesn't mean that Sophia Smith isn't going to play a minute in the ICC. I think it probably depends on how that tightness is resolved, <laughs> the, the unspecified tightness. Uh, it's going to d- depend on how, how, how that's resolved and, and, and the like. And I, I'm sure, you know, those players are going to see the field some, but it shouldn't be a whole lot. Uh, and, and it sounds like they're, they're approaching it the right way. So uh, other than it being too hot, I think there's something to watch, uh, but I wish there was a more formalized better way to do this because I do think there's, there's a space for it. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm very much of the opinion that, that people are, that people overvalue or, or, or not overvalue because they, they undervalue dramatically <laughs> women's soccer in Europe. I think they, to some extent overrate, uh, the, some of the European teams and some of the European leagues vis-a-vis NWSL. Um, and at very minimum, I'd like to see those games. <laughs> I would like to see those games with stakes, with teams in form, um, and, and with teams able to take the time, uh, from their league schedules to make it happen. Um, because I think the, those would be really interesting, really good games. And if we see, uh, you know, as we see sort of the, the game in Europe starting to really build momentum in terms of, in terms of broader attention, uh, to the women's game. I think I think there would be a lot of folks who would be interested in that. Um, I'm just I, I just think uh, the ICC is an imperfect way to to do that, and I think it makes it so that it sort of is a year by year case as to how seriously the Thorns are going to be able to take it. And I think this is just a year that you know they sort of have to have they got bigger fish to fry. Right, and and I think that that's um, that's the reason why the spirit declined participating in the first place. You know, I I don't think Portland um, really had a choice given that a they're the hosts and b they won it last year, um, and and there's really um, few better places to to host a tournament like this than Portland, Soccer City, USA, a ton of 
um, people will come out that are just fans of of the sport generally. They might not even be hardcore Thorns fans. The Spirit gonna like host it on the White House South Lawn yeah, or something? I don't know. I, they they don't. I mean that'd be they, cool. They, they don't ever <laughs> play honest, in the same place. Cool. That actually would be. No, they'll cool, just but... play like they'll just play like on one of the rec fields on the mall that everybody uh plays rec. I love something. the National Mall. I, having recently visited DC, it's really cool. Lo- love love. The do you space. love the mall or do you love the things around them? I think more the things actually yeah 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 i mean i i think i think it's cool when the mall has does have all of those rec sports going on i think that's genuinely cool yeah because you can sort of like go for a walk and it's just like it's just softball game after after you know soccer game after you know i mean and, it, and it's just like there are a bunch of folks out sort of enjoying this space um I, yeah, I, I, I though fall on the i really enjoy all the things around the mall i don't love the mall itself uh, kind of, kind of perspective. Yeah, I get that. But, um, hopefully, you know, if they ever do host a, a soccer match there, they, uh, they make it a cool experience. That would be pretty sweet. Actually. What's your favorite place in DC? Uh, there's an Indian restaurant I went to, uh, with my brother when I visited, uh, right. that was excellent. Uh, the name of it is escaping me. Um, I will pull up the name. Indian food is phenomenal. So I, mean, I, I don't it, have a hard it's time. It's hard to go wrong, you know, cheap from from Eastern. fine dining Indian food to to the cheap eats that you could find at a at a food truck uh pretty much anywhere, particularly in my hometown of Beaverton, Oregon, which has yeah. a yeah. I guess I was I was more thinking of like places of national significance than just like Ryan's. Oh no, I don't care. But about I, that. I I respect that shot. Yeah, to be like I, I saw the Capitol, whatever, man. Like that it's yeah. it's fine. I, I'm a big fan of the FDR Memorial, although I, I think they did an amazing job with the MLK Memorial. I think the MLK Memorial is really cool and really powerful. Yeah, that was um, very cool. And so that's that that it, it has risen up toward the top. But I think the FDR Memorial is one of my favorite places uh, in D.C. It's really pretty, really serene. Uh, when you got the cherry blossoms going on, it is popping. The Indian restaurant's name is Rasika in, uh, in Rasika. D.C. Uh, it's, it's in a pretty bougie area of D.C., but my God. What an excellent establishment. Go go check out Rossica and then go take a walk between the MLK and FDR memorials. You'll have a nice day in DC. This was a really, really hard tangent that we just yeah. went on. Uh, that, that we just went on there uh, based on my joke that they were going to play a spirit hosted ICC game on one of the rec fields on the Capitol Mall. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, everybody. Um Although maybe you know maybe if somebody's like going to DC, maybe business dude is like going to DC next week, and he's like, "Man, this podcast gives me everything. It gives me DC tips, and helps me rest up for my trip." Yeah, maybe you can get some sleep on the plane. That's 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 right. It's, it, it's one stop shop for business dude. Oh, but yeah, I so you know I it's it. it I'm bo- I'm both looking forward to the ICC. I guess I'll put it this way: I'm both looking forward to the ICC and also like feeling slightly inconvenienced by it. Yeah. I think the thorns probably internally feel the same way. Uh, I, you know, Rian Wilkinson yeah. gave a, yeah. a nice, um, you know, political answer as far as, you know, the, um, the tournament and she's really good at that. Yeah. She's, she's great with the press. She, she, she knows how to, how to word stuff. Um, and, and she, she talked about it. And when she doesn't want to say something, she is really at good not at saying, saying something without saying yeah, anything. Exactly. Um, and with this tournament, she's she's like, yeah, you know, we want to put a team out there that wants to win, 
but you know the reality is yada yada like with the uh with the fact that they um have so many games this month so she 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 knows how to how to play that if you if you got the the real real from it it would be please get this over with uh this is a great tournament uh, awesome showcase for for women's soccer but get it over with we have so many games and they matter a lot in nwsl uh, for the standings can we please just get to those uh, the, the inconvenience aspect i'm sure is something that, that they feel on some level but that's that's part of the deal and part of the sacrifice as the game continues to grow and as the thorns continue to become one of the most prominent women's sports brands in the world and and that's exciting that's right. in a lot of ways and, and, and a lot of that attitude, though, is just driven by, and this is this is my segue into geography made in Portland, um, is driven by what the Thorns have next, which, as, as you mentioned, is an away game. What is a rescheduled game um, at North Carolina, uh, which was rescheduled from when North Carolina went to the Challenge Cup final that, for reasons that I think are fairly criticized, uh, are uh, occurred during the regular season. Uh, and so they had to reschedule the Thorns game to make to to make way for that. So they stuck it in on this Wednesday in August in North Carolina. Cool, cool. Um, and then the Thorns then travel back to play against San Diego in Portland on Saturday. I mean, the way you know we we've been at this long enough that I think most folks have sort of caught onto the pattern. But leagues generally try if you have a, a midweek game, and especially if you have a midweek game in which there's travel. Leagues generally try to do a Wednesday-Sunday turnaround rather than a Wednesday-Saturday turnaround to allow for an extra day for travel, recovery, training, etc. It matters. I mean, when you have when you have only two days between, <laughs> adding a third day, that is 50% more. Also math made in Portland. Um, so that's uh, – that's, uh, apparently the dogs behind me really like that joke. Uh, big math made in Portland fans. Uh, but you know, the, uh, the, 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 that really matters. Uh, and I'm a little bit baffled and I genuinely can't figure out why I like tried to triangulate the schedules and all that to figure out why NWSL scheduled this for a Wednesday, Saturday turnaround, rather than if they had to add this on a Wednesday, uh, this game in North Carolina, why they didn't then bump the, the game against the wave at least back to Sunday because, and this is where geography made in Portland comes in. Um, when you really look at a map, when you like, when you really study a map, you, you, it really becomes apparent that Portland and Cary, North Carolina are not close to each other, like at all. Is that, is that, is that part of the hot take segment? Yeah, that, that is the, and that's, that's the geography made in Portland <laughs> lesson of the day, uh, is, is that Portland and North Carolina are far apart. Um, and, you know, I mean, as a practical matter, because of the way travel is going to work out, the Thorns are basically going to have an important game in North Carolina, a travel day, one day of training, and then an important game against the Wave. And when you're NWSL, I mean, especially that game against the Wave with as, you know, the Wave hasn't haven't gotten as much attention as, as perhaps Angel City FC um, on the on the national scene. But they've been a pretty splashy expansion team. This should be a game that NWSL oh, should really be wanting pun. to market. Splashy. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, or was it intentional? Or were, were you? It's been a good run for me. I think I'm gonna have to retire from podcasting. Oh man, I'm I'm out, everybody. Oh, that See you later. Sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Uh, uh, but but you, you know, I, I I mean, this is this is the kind of game that NWSL should really want to have eyeballs on. There are interesting players. You've got a head-to-head between the between what is turning into sort of a Maguire-Sosa deal uh, in the Golden Boot Race between Alex Morgan and Sophia Smith. You have two teams that are at the top of the table. You have big stars. You have sort of, I mean, you have a, even have a narrative of sort of like Alex Morgan and then like maybe the most Alex Morgan-like player we've seen come up in the U.S. system for a long time going head-to-head. It, I mean, it's a, you, I mean, the number of narratives you could spin out of this game for a broader audience are ridiculous and it's still on paramount plus and it's still on paramount i mean at least it's not twitch uh, but like but it's on paramount plus and you're gonna have one of these teams playing with like one day of training between in your and their last game like that's not how you set up your that's not how you set up your product to be you know well delivered to the people that who you want to attract oh um, and and this as best I can tell, and I've asked a few people and I can't, I have not received an answer. As best I can tell, this is just an unforced error. This is just, they didn't put one and one together to get the schedule right. And, and a game that should be really exciting and really marketable and, and a really, really good soccer game is, is being, you know, is, is, I don't want to say tainted because that's too strong a word. It's still an honest game. It's still a fair game. Um, but it's not being presented in the best way possible. And, uh, if you're NWSL, that's, that's pretty brutal. Um, because you need to start putting your best foot forward on these kinds of games. They shouldn't be on Twitch. They shouldn't be on Paramount plus they shouldn't have one team playing with a ridiculous turnaround with bad travel. Um, they should be putting their best foot forward on these games and they're not. Uh, and, and, that stinks. It makes for a really challenging turnaround for for the Thorns with two really important games, as all games are important for them now. Um, and it it makes it so that this is that this feels like more of a like let's grind and gut through it kind of thing than this is where we're going to sort of make a statement uh, kind of thing. And that stinks. There's my hot take, but it starts with geography, which is. I just want to remind people, and again, if anybody at the NWSL office is listening to this, this is my opinion, and you should agree with it, Portland and North Carolina are not close together. So, you know, adjust accordingly. <laughs> Strong takes from Chris Reifer. You can expect nothing less on a week-to-week basis. Uh, we will transition, however, uh, to our uh, pals, the Portland Timbers who um, had a bit of a rough one up north uh, in their most recent match, a 3-1 to one loss to Toronto, uh, just an Italian avalanche, if you will, uh, where they, they br- brought the game back level, but then things got Italian and were not ideal uh, for, for the, the Timbers. I, th- I think that, um, you know, this was, this was, in many ways, a long time coming for a team that had, yes, 10 unbeaten games, but the most recent of their unbeaten games were three draws, which um, two of the two most recent of which were a little concerning 
a little disappointing in spots. Soft. Yeah. It was a soft 10-game unbeaten yeah. streak. That w- that, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think that it, it was an indication of any sort of dominance or, you know, massive turnaround. I, I think that the first five or six games of that uh, streak, you know, maybe you could make that argument like, oh, here they come. Here come the turnaround timbers. We made that argument on this podcast uh, several weeks ago. Uh, and then things have just kind of middled out since then. And the Timbers are in this weird spot where, you know, they're in the race for playoff positioning. They're right there. But things start to also have to go right for them in terms of the other games. And they have to get good results in a final several games of their schedule, which are very hard for the most part. Really, really tough finish to the season. Uh, You got Sporting Kansas City on Sunday, which... um, you got gotta win that one, like no doubter. Can't can't come out with anything less than three points against a team you slapped seven zero earlier in the year. Uh, seven two. Seven right? two. Yes, I always forget that they yeah. scored. I mean, it's it's easy to forget the two when <laughs> when there's the seven. Yeah, the, so seven to two slapped them earlier this year. Uh, then you return home August twenty sixth for a game against Seattle on national television. Uh, which has plenty of narratives to, to for us to discuss, which we will get into on future podcasts. Um, on the road to Austin, a team that's been really, really good this year, tough place to play in Austin on August 31st. Then you're home Atlanta, home against Minnesota, at Columbus, home LAFC, at Real Salt Lake. The form the Timbers are in, they could lose pretty much every single one of those games after sporting Kansas city. They could certainly drive. Uh, we games. know they can draw. <laughs> if nothing else, this, this Timbers team has proven that boy, can they draw the heck out of, uh, out of teams in this league? 12 draws this season for this group. Any place, anytime, <laughs> any opponent they can draw. It's insane. Oh, they would have liked to have drawn Toronto FC. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I, I definitely harbor your share your concerns uh, about the Timbers. I guess I'm sort of at the point where I could see the Timbers making the playoffs. I could see the Timbers not making the playoffs. They have not shown me anything over the last several weeks that makes me think that they are a team of note in the playoffs. They 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 look right now, and who's to say? You know, may, maybe they'll change this. They've got an opportunity still to change this. Um, but they look right now like their ceiling is a playoff also ran. Um, and yeah, that's not going on the resume. (laughs) Um, so I, I mean, uh, that, that it concerns me. I'm, I'm, I'm less sort of down about the TFC game, frankly, uh, than I think some others are. Uh, I, I actually thought the Timbers in the TFC game overall played reasonably well. Um, I think the first half, it wasn't much to look at, but it was exactly what the Timbers needed to do in that first half. Um, it was clear that TFC was going to carry much of the opening stages of that game. Uh, the Timbers tried to find and kind of had some semi near misses, uh, opportunities to, to hit TFC on the counter and to play in behind and and to do that kind of stuff. But the Timbers didn't create much. That really was secondary though. I mean, a lot of that first half was, was about bottling up TFC, not allowing them to have a ton of clear chances. And by and large, 
they did that pretty well. TFC had a ton of shots. They had a ton of shots even on goal. But until TFC scored in, what was it, the 40th or 41st minute, those chances weren't great. Um, you weren't seeing sort of the quality from from TFC's uh, DPs really come out and and really sort of uh, sort of uh, uh, affect the game. Um, and and that was mission accomplished because in a game like that, where you've got a team that has that has frankly just more talent, is at home, you've got to pick your spots. And with TFC, where they're at. They've got some questionable team fitness because they had so many guys coming in the transfer window. They're still getting things sorted out. They're having they have a bunch of guys who are coming off of off seasons who are in, you know, the equivalent of early season form, whereas the Timbers are in mid to late season form. Oh, um, it was really reasonable for the Timbers just to say, you know what? If we're gonna have joy in this game, it's gonna be in the second half. It's gonna be around the hour and after that. And so we're gonna try to frustrate TFC. We're gonna try to make them work. Uh, and, and, and we're going to, we're going to, you know, sort of, sort of pick our spots to, to get back after them. And until they conceded a goal that I think the Timbers probably felt a little bit let down by themselves, uh, with it at the end of the first half, I think they did that. And then for the first half hour of the second half, I think the wisdom of, of that general approach to the first half really showed itself. TFC was gappy. The Timbers started dictating the game um, and they started creating chances and they ended up getting the goal uh, to, to equalize it. Jose Carlos Van Ranken goal. First MLS goal. That's that's I thought about us when I, when I uh, saw that goal happen, I was like, you know, you mean you thought about me lifelong Jose Carlos Van? Yeah, it was more about you. It was more about like, (laughs) like God, I bet Chris is so happy right now for, for his dear friend and a person who he praises to no end. Uh, JCVR seems like a perfectly nice person. Uh, I, I enjoy the, uh, the, the internet, you know, representations of the buddy, buddy relationship between he, between him, Felipe Moore and Sebastian Blanco quite a bit. Seems like a great guy. I was happy for him as a person. Yeah. Serious uh, bro ship there. Uh, to get his first. Love, love the bro yeah, ship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, to get his first MLS goal, uh, nicely, nicely taken goal. Um, really nicely worked goal from, from the Timbers. And, and so, you know, I thought the wisdom of that approach uh, to the game really, you know, sort of, I mean, that that kind of justified, like, Geo's vision sort of showed through and, and it justified itself in that stretch. Um, and frankly, given how gappy TFC was during that period and how it looked like their legs were falling off, I understand the Timbers' temptation after scoring that goal to start taking some risks to see if they could get a winner. Um because, you know, I, in the five minutes or so I, uh, where the game was tied 1-1, I was sort of sitting there being like, this really feels like it's in the balance. Like the Timbers could sort of, you know, apply the pressure to TFC and and they just may not have the fitness, frankly, um, to match up. And the Timbers started taking some risks and then they got burned by just class. Just class. That's what it was. Uh, Toronto's DPs are better than the Timbers DPs by country miles by the distance between Portland and North Carolina. Um, that is, that is the distance between Toronto's DPs and Portland's DPs. Insigne uh, is and, so and that really I mean, I, you know, credit to Bernardeschi who, who played really well himself, but Insigne the whole game, he's so he, he was the best player on the field by, by, as you said, a country mile, perhaps, 
perhaps further, perhaps the distance from from Portland to Rome or Portland to Milan uh, was was he better than than the rest of the guys on the field? We'll cover that in a future episode of Geography Made in Portland, but let me tell you, that is a long ways. Oh, boy, oh, boy. We'll bust out the maps. Uh, we will read maps to people on a podcast, which is going to be super exciting. Um, and that is a long ways. But, yeah, I mean, and and as the Timbers, as the gaps in the Timbers defense, as they were taking more risks, got a little bit bigger, that just created space for those guys to kill them. And they did. Um. I, I think if the Timbers could do it over again, they probably would be a little bit more prudent at 1-1. Um, but I, I understand what they were thinking. I understand what they were seeing in the game at that point. And they chose to play with fire, which I don't think was a completely irrational decision at that point in the game. And they got burned. I mean, they they got the downside of that risk, um, which happens sometimes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think you could probably, even at this point, sort of justify taking the risk to try to get three points uh, and, 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 you know, putting the potential for one point kind of on the, on the betting table, even if they lost. In your view, do you think that they knock out Nashville or LA or even RSL? Do they get in at, based on what we're seeing right now? I go back and forth on this. Honestly, I, I feel like it's 50-50. I feel like it, between those three, Portland and Seattle, um, just because of where they are, I guess I, I put <laughs> I put Portland, what, fourth of those five teams because that is the order in which they're on the table in terms of their likelihood to, 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 to make the playoffs. Oh, hot, hot but take. Look, I mean, yeah, you're really going yeah, out on a limb yeah. there. <laughs> I, I'm 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 all over it. I uh, today in characterizing distances as long, <laughs> in reading the order of teams in the table. Um, the I, I mean I I think as you look at all those teams, their playoff chances. I mean this is me speaking out of my tuchus. Um, uh, <laughs> there are people who do things things like this mathematically, but I would guess all of those teams have between a forty and sixty percent chance of making the playoffs. Um, maybe a little bit higher than that on the high end, but not probably not a ton. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's probably where those, where they are. And I'd, I'd put the Timbers, you know, somewhere between 40 and 50% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, but you know, as, as we've discussed to me, that's not, you know, that's not a be all end all. Um, cause if the Timbers make the playoffs and go get, housed in the for in a first round away game at a good like Austin team or something like that I I guess that that makes very little difference to me in terms of how I assess the season as a whole as if they miss the playoffs you know as the first or second team out um and go home I I you know yeah I mean for me the challenge for the Timbers is to like show me that they're more than just the you know the Washington Generals to somebody's Globetrotters in the first round, and and, and they haven't shown no, that. and and you know I, I'm not sure they're they're built to to make that type of run that they have in the past. I'm I mean they have a bunch of you know talented veteran players, but health is a question. Um, you know defensive consistency is a massive question. Uh, who they're going to put at center back and whether their feet are made of cinder blocks or not is a question. Um, Alias Ivicic is not a question. I think he's been one of the best goalkeepers right. in MLS this year. He he 
yeah. um, is now leading Major League Soccer in saves, at least as of um, the end of, of the last match. But uh, he's he's been great. Um, Nias Goda has, has improved quite a bit. Uh, Seba Blanco, when he's he's healthy and playing, continues to be the, the fiery, you know, hyper-dangerous presence that he's he's been. But it's just, it's not the same player anymore. And you want me to put you on the spot for a yes. hot take? All right. Should the Timbers bring back Jimmy Char next year? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, with what you're getting, do you consider, do you consider in that analysis the effect on Diego? I think it would have an effect on Diego, but I think that Diego is still going to play for, for the theoretically for the Timbers for the rest of his career and, and try and, you know, play another couple of years, but I, I think that's a valid concern, right? I, I think that from a soccer standpoint, um, pure, like if he wasn't, you know, Diego's brother, you'd look at his production and say, hey, let's find somebody that is better to put there. And they probably will. Um, but the question is, do you do that? Move on from him or do you relegate him to, to more of a, um, substitute rolled and keep him around in order to um, appease a club legend. I, I think that that would probably be a safer bet. And continue to occupy a DP spot. See, that's the tough thing. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. That that's, that's where you, you get into the question of is, is this worth the price of admission here? Because Diego Chara is still very much one of the most effective defensive midfielders in the league period, despite his age, he's an incredible athlete, great fitness, um, tough as hell, uh, great personality and ambassador for the club. Um, it, this is going to be one of the questions of the off season. And, and I, if my hot take is they should move on from him. Um, but they should also be aware of the, as we've talked about mitigating risks that, that would, ensue i think the yeah i mean because I, I think in many ways the the tfc game sort of really shined a light on what has been an issue all along um in what the timbers are getting out of their their dps and i think i look, look i think yaroslav nishigoda is is in in terms of what he's produced for the timbers exactly in the mid-range of what you would expect given the characteristics of his signing but I think the character, the characteristics of his signing are the problem. Uh, three million dollar DP strikers, uh, you know, three and a half million dollar DP strikers are no longer a thing for MLS teams that want to compete. Um, th- those are deals that the Colorado Rapids make. The, those are deals that the San Jose Earthquakes make. Um, you know, one or two teams out there will 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 hit one. Adam Buxa was came in for about that uh, at New England, and they really hit on that one. But that's the outlier. Um, more often than not, that's not a player who's going to be an impact player. And I don't think Nishgoda has been. It's not to discredit him. I think he's he's done reasonably well um, on balance. He's scored a, a good number of goals. He hasn't produced in in a lot of the other areas. But um, but is that a difference making DP? No. Jimmy Chara, I think, is a is a like solid MLS starter, but he doesn't. And and you know, I mean, I frankly, I I equate him in many ways to like a Christian Roldan, uh, who's a good player, 
And I think Jimmy Char is a pretty good player. Oh, but if you've got one DP who's underperforming in Nishkota, and you've got another DP who I don't think is underperforming. I think, you know, Sebastian Blanco is sort of a high TAM, low DP kind of guy who occupies a DP spot right now because of cap considerations, but but could in the future be a TAM guy. Uh, and I think he's producing like that. I think you're getting about what you would expect and hope for um, from Blanco. But also there are just the realities that he's not sort of the MVP level player that, that he was um, at this stage of his career. And when you have that context, you can't have a solid MLS starter as your other DP, your DP who who you've spent the most money on. Oh, and they've had a lot of times this year, quite honestly, in which because of injuries and absences and all of that, where they have looked to Jimmy Chara and said, you kind of need to be the guy who's going to carry us through this game. And he has far more often than not failed to do that. Um. And so, you know, it's harsh because I don't think he's a bad player. But I I just think in in terms of the way the roster is structured, he's really hard to continue carrying. But I fear that they will because of his last name and because of who his brother is and because of the respect, the, the deserved respect. Um, that the club has for for Diego. Yeah, I think between the two of, of them, between him and Niasgoda, uh, it's far more likely they move on from Yarrow. Um, if if it comes down to that, they should move on from both because that TFC that TFC game that shows like yeah, like, if you spend, if they want to compete yeah. at that level, they need to go spend between sixteen and twenty million dollars on two DPS that are going to come in and crush at those two positions. Yeah, and and you know I've heard some rumblings of of the club having an interest in, in spending big this off season. Um, previously that had been discussed by Gavin Wilkinson publicly as looking at, at a number nine. Um, but that we'll see. I, it, it we'll see how, how this off season is handled from a financial perspective, because, um, I think that, that Merritt Paulson and Gavin Wilkinson are very aware of the fact that, uh, th- this team as presently structured, um, is is not really a contender right now, given given the age of its stars, given uh, injuries that it's faced, and and just given where they're at at these different positions, they I think have done an admirable job loading up young pieces for the future. But um, if they want to contend next year, uh, that level of spending is is going to have to be in the cards, and we'll see if it is. I think there's a decent argument to make that if you look sort of zoom out and look at the timber season from a ten thousand foot level. There are definitely other issues. Don't get me wrong. Um, I agree with you that that the defense has been inconsistent and has not found a rhythm. At times, it's been pretty solid. At times, it's been pretty shambolical. Um, but I think if you zoom out from a 10,000-foot level, there's a good argument to be made that the Timbers were just sort of hampered by a lack of consistent production from their DPs. And and that the difference between the Timbers and and, you know, the more competitive teams is just that top end talent. Right. And in a league now that is, is being dominated by an LAFC, which has just thrown buckets of money everywhere, all over the place, brought in aging superstars, retained its own superstars that had already had. Um, you got to do something to, to catch up because it's, it's not the MLS of, of 2012, 13, 15 anymore. No. It, this is a new league. Who's the Timbers' best player right now? 
Eric Williamson, but he health wise, it's it's a question this year. And I think I that it, it, a close second would be Seba Blanco, um, just given his importance to to what they Diego do. Charza. Diego Chara, yeah, uh, you know, g- given his importance defensively, it's it's just you know who we're not talking about in this conversation. Jimmy Chara, you're that's PC. true, and those are the DPS, two of them uh, for for the club. So something to to think about, uh, and and you know you may come to a scenario where you have to to pay an Eric Williamson more in order to hang on to him. You, you might come to a scenario where down the road, Juan Mosquera uh, is, is killing it after a couple of years and you got to pay him more. So, so these are David Ajala is another one that, that like high potential, high ceiling, you might have to pay him more in the future. So this is, um, this is the quandary for, for the club that they're going to have to uh, deal with as the years progress. And they transition from an aging former contender into whatever they're going to be morphed into uh, next year and in the years to come. Uh, but that will wrap it up for us here on soccer made in Portland. Uh, Ryan Clark here uh, for Chris Reifer. Uh, thanking you for joining us uh, on this wonderful, warm, very warm Wednesday uh, here in the Rose City. Uh, get out to the WICC tonight if you don't already have tickets. Uh, should be a, an amazing showcase uh, of the top talent in the world. That is not a paid advertisement. That's a personal opinion. Uh, and and make sure to... Should people agree with your yes, opinion? Yes, they should. Darn it. <laughs> agree with my opinion. I said it, therefore you should agree with it. Uh, and if you agree with it, or if not, uh, please leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Uh, say something nice, say whatever you want, uh, and and follow us on Twitter at Soccer Maiden PDX to keep up with uh, all the, the latest pods that we put out, uh, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>